Well, it seems like everybody over the last few years has been talking about our mental and emotional health. You can't go a day without several different places or communities talking about it. And maybe it's because people like Sam Pittman talking about it, people in high-profile places, Simone Bills uh, admitting to having a mental health struggle. Or maybe it's because of the pandemic, which, by the way, the World Health Organization says that uh, rates of anxiety and depression have skyrocketed since 2020. Uh, 25 to 30 percent of the population ha- um, is, or it, it, it's gone up 30 percent. Or maybe it's because of um, cell phones and or smartphones. And by the way, the data is even more alarming for young adults. But the reason I wanted to do it is wanted to talk about this is because we've had a rough year. On top of the pandemic that everywhere else had, we had a tornado. And there's not a person here whose life in some way hasn't been impacted by the last few months. Uh, and the thing I know, it's true, as people who follow Jesus, we actually have resources of, of people of faith to be able to not just get through this, but to thrive. And honestly, it took a lot of convincing for me to do this series because I'm not credentialed in this. I don't have training. I mean, I've done premarital counseling. Leslie and I have done premarital counseling for years. I've done a lot of pastoral counseling, but I'm not credentialed in doing this. I'm not a counselor or a therapist. And I, by the way, I have talked to a lot of people in this, uh, preparing for this series who are therapists, but I don't want to cause anybody unintentional pain by misstating something, or maybe they're in a season where they can't hear what I am stating. The problem is the only safe thing to do is to just avoid the subject. And that seems to be the tactic of the enemy, because not talking about it is not helping. And by the way, we have to acknowledge God made our bodies and our bodies are good. God made our bodies to experience things like anxiety and sadness and stress. Those can be a really good thing unless they turn into chronic experiences of those things. Um, God did not wire us to feel chronically anxious or chronically sad or burnout. And when we do, it's hard for us to flourish as the image bearers of God that we are. So the way of Jesus does have a lot to say about this, because Jesus felt every human emotion you feel. He, as the kids say, had all the feels. And he came to set us free by giving us an accurate roadmap of reality, or another word for that is truth, to set us free from lies. So I want want you to know a few things going into this series. We're beginning a series called Peace of Mind. It's going to go for the next four weeks. And to prepare for this series, my old boss and still mentor, uh, Rick Ashley, did a series on this last year. He's given me all those resources. He's been tremendously helpful. Our shepherds are the ones who actually wanted me to do this because they're in your lives. And they know the kind of stuff that we're going through and the kind of pain that we're expressing. And I also want you to know about another resource, a guy that you've heard before, Richard Beck. He's preached here several times. Um, Richard Beck is one of the most influential theologians in Churches of Christ, but he's actually, his day job is not doing that. His day job is he's a psychologist. He's a professor training psychologists. 
And um, he wrote a book called Hunting Magic Eels that kind of brought these two worlds together. And he opens up Hunting Magic Eels by talking. He's had a conversation with his dad. They were playing golf in Erie, Pennsylvania. And his dad is an elder at a church of Christ. And his dad said, you know, the problem is young people just don't want God these days. And Richard thought about it for a little bit. And he said, I think young people desire God a lot. They just don't know it. They call this desire anxiety and depression or loneliness. And everywhere you look in America, you see this longing for God. But we've lost the ability to correctly name it and diagnose the hurt. And the only language that young people have in a secular West is the language of mental illness. So they use words like anxiety or depression, and what they're really saying is they have a desire for God. That may sound strange to you, especially coming from a secular worldview, but I think it's spot on. By the way, the studies are crystal clear on this. I mean, clear on the correlation, not causation, but correlation. There is a correlation, a strong correlation, between religious participation and emotional and mental well-being. You can ask any psychologist about this. You can Google this. There's a strong correlation between mental and emotional health and religious participation. That does not mean everybody who's a part of a church is doing mentally fine, as we'll see later. And Richard's not saying that, you know, if you, uh, if you have mental illness, that can be quickly fixed by coming to Jesus. What he's saying is how unwell we are as a society. And the evidence is everywhere, right? Rise of suicide, anxiety, depression, loneliness, addiction. What's causing us all, these pain, all this pain? And there's a lot of answers, and you've heard the answers, right? Some people say the, the reason is because, like what Sam Pittman just said, the reason is because everybody's got smartphones or social media or political polarization or, you know, the, the economy or whatever. They... They all play a role, but here's Beck's point. As a psychologist, as somebody who, who studies not just individuals, but at a pop, population level, he's saying, those are stressors. Those are not the causes. And what has made us, as a society, so much more vulnerable, so much more fragile? And the reason... Beck says, and I think he's right, the reason we're so much vulnerable to the stressors in our life, and by the way, stress, these things are a part of life. These are new parts of life, but life has always had these kind of stressors. And the reason what Beck is trying to say, we're so vulnerable to mental health problems is because the root of it he calls the ache. So he would say to a modern secular Western person, okay, God may be dead, but you sure do miss him. And the chalk outline around the body of God is where we use words like anxiety and depression and addiction and loneliness and meaninglessness and boredom and hopelessness and irritation. This is what it feels like when God is dead. Now, it would be one thing to talk about mental health crisis if we had a mental health crisis in an otherwise healthy world. But we do not have that. We have a very unhealthy world. In fact, I say often to students when I get to speak to them, to young adults, I get to say, statistically, that word was a lot harder to say than I thought it would be, uh, the statistics are saying that um, you're not doing well 
at a population level. Um, it's not because you're unhealthy people in a normal world. It's because you're healthy people in a normal world. Now, let me pause because this is not just a TED Talk. This is going to get into Scripture because there's tons of resources for Christians to be able to thrive and, and, and heal in moments like this. But let me pause and say there is a difference between chronic things and seasonal things. So there's a difference between genetically driven mental health issues like OCD, bipolar, chronic anxiety and depression, um, and situational emotional struggles. And some... And, and not all mental health stuff is is got spiritual roots or, or even from believing lies. Sometimes it's things like a chemical imbalance. And one of the ways we can help each other is by saying sometimes, did you take your medicine? Uh, but we are so fragile in our common world, in our world today. Why is that? I've told you before, G.K. Chesterton changed my life uh, about a decade ago. It's this guy who wrote 100 years ago, in what was beginning to be post-Christian England. And he asked this question. It's very profound. He said, have you noticed that in today's world, on a day-to-day level, we're living very comfortable. That is, daily we're pretty content and happy. But situationally, existentially, we're miserable. And in the ancient world, 300 years ago, that was reversed. People lived life that was really miserable day, day to day. But they were blissfully happy about their place in the universe. Here's what he's saying. Life should be easier than this, shouldn't it? I mean, think about all the amenities you have. You've got uh, Alexas and iPhones and dishwashers. Uh, you've, you've got penicillin. You know, people don't just die for no reason because of a plague. We live like kings and queens. If people 300 years ago could see the way you live right now, they would think, are they royalty? And yet chronic mental health problems are worse than they've ever been. And it's not just because of our secular worldview, although part of it is because of our secular worldview. A lot of it is stuff like we've stopped sleeping. Seriously, in the last 100 years, you have lost two and a half hours of sleep a night. We used to sleep, 100 years ago, people slept for nine plus hours. The average American sleeps 6.8 hours. Some of it is because of that. Some of it is because we exercise less, we stay indoors more, we ignore Sabbath, we have no margin in our life. Another reason is because families are less stable. There's not a lot of social connection. Like, here's the best way to describe the modern world. It used to be we had friends. Now we watch friends. And that is not a good trade-off. That is a poor substitute for real human community. Uh, another part of it is, like Sam Pittman said, the rise of you know, digital pra- platforms. You're constantly being um, uh, told about all the things that are wrong in the world. Like, for example, you currently know that there was a war that was started over the weekend. A, a very tragic war that's going to have long-term consequences... And you can't do anything about that. You know there's another war in the Ukraine between Ukraine and Russia. And you have very little agency over any of that. Plus, you also see a ton of like meanness and, and hate 
online as people hide behind avatars and say stuff they would never say to a human being face to face. Ask any school counselor and they will tell you that mental health crisis among young people has never been worse. Um, for, CDC report recently revealed that 42% of teenagers are feeling, report feeling persistently sad. And by the way, for parents and for teenagers, students, you can go to pvcc.org and go to our student page for high school and middle schoolers. And there's a ton of resources through this series to help you as you're going through this, to go through it with um, uh, help, that the way of Jesus actually has something to offer to you. Um, 62% of young of college-aged people and college graduates re report feeling um, overwhelmed or anxious. Young people today have to navigate a world that is hard for their mental health, a world they didn't create. We all have to navigate that world. And that's why it matters how we use our brains. So, to followers of Jesus, I'm talking to the baptized believers of Jesus now. I want you to know, good news is, change is not just possible. It's inevitable. God didn't make us to live like this. But we have to talk about it because not talking about it is not working. Did you know that most people with a mental health condition wait somewhere between 8 and 10 years before seeking help? Which is not good, right? So bringing this conversation out of the darkness, um, bringing it to the light, is what people of faith do because the Bible does it. Okay, if you're new to church, the biggest book in the Bible is the Psalms. A lot of those Psalms were written by a very famous character in history and in our Christian faith, King David. And the, about half of King David's songs, these are songs that he wrote, poems that set to music, about half of them, he, he are incredibly sad, express grief or sorrow. Let me just show you three of them. One is Psalm 6. This is David. I am worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with tears. How about Psalms 13? How long must I struggle with this anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? What about Psalm 69? Deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I can't find a foothold. I'm in deep water and the floods overwhelm me. I'm exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. David did not hide what we would call today his depression from God. He brought it to God as an act of worship. The Bible does not insult people of faith who experienced this kind of stuff. Like when Jacob thought he lost his son, Joseph. The Bible does not condemn him for all the grief that he uh, experienced. Or when Elijah is experiencing depression and, and extreme burnout and wanting to die. God doesn't condemn him for that. God says, God feeds him and gives him a nap. Um, or Paul, one of the most influential people in human history. Paul confessed to feeling crushed and overwhelmed. The Gospels don't try to hide that Jesus went through this. You know, in the last hours before he died, Jesus experienced what we would call today a panic attack. Some of the strongest Christians I know and knew growing up were people with mental health problems. Y'all have heard me talk a lot about Brother Foy, the guy who took out a loan for me to be able to go to college. Looking back on it, 
Brother Foy probably had some kind of undiagnosed bipolar condition. I think of the people that I knew growing up in church who sometimes weren't there at church. And you'd find out later they weren't feeling well. And you would find out later that what that meant was they were just too sad to even get out of bed. It was not a lack of faith or a moral failure to have those problems. Because we live in a broken world. And that means you and I are not exempt from that. So no one chooses to struggle with their mental health. Sometimes Christians, we can see certain struggles as more like noble or difficult especially struggles below the neck, this is not a, uh, this is not a new problem. C.S. Lewis decades ago said this, Mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but it is more common and also more hard to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden. It is easier to say my tooth is hurting than it is to say my heart is broken. And so getting rid of a stigma around this helps because uh, what happens with a stigma is we tend to, we over-trivialize it or we over-spiritualize something. So we trivialize it when we're like, look, it's not that bad. Or suck it up. I hope you haven't said suck it up. Uh, look on the bright side. Or we over-spiritualize it when we say you need more faith or pray harder or here's a verse. Instead, one of the biblical ways we can do that is say something like this. That sounds hard. How can I walk alongside you? How can I support you? I say this is a biblical way to do it because this is how Paul says it. Look at this. In Galatians 6, Paul says, Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. No one at church is completely fine. Right? We all have our wounds. And the church is the only community, and I say that, I know that's stark. The church is the only community that can offer real hope to real people with real problems. And we do this not by fixing each other, fellas, not by fixing each other, but by being the presence of of, of the Lord in each other's lives. This is the way Paul says it in Romans 12. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. So a simple place to begin is asking the question, how do I feel? Which is my least favorite question ever. I hate that question. Honestly, don't come up and ask it to me. I don't... It will take me like an hour to come up with the answer to that question. I have the emotional like uh, self-insight of like a stalk of broccoli. I am not really good at this, but I have learned how to grow in this. Um, and a lot of it is through y'all. Because you know church is a laboratory of love, right? Church is a laboratory of forgiveness and grace. And like I said, church, the, the studies show... That people who are are religious participants who regularly attend, their mental and emotional well-being is better. And and sorry, people who just do it online, it doesn't work for you. But we're learning how to love and have human connection in the name of God together. And sometimes what that community looks like is saying things like, you might want to talk to a counselor about that. You might want to start taking some medicine. You might start wanting to get more sleep or go outside or get some exercise or 
Choose community instead of streaming something. Or start practicing some spiritual disciplines because Jesus wants to restore us to our right minds. So, if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark, Jesus is about to go for the first time to the territory of the Gentiles, where the non-Jewish people live. Now, that is not something a lot of Jewish people, they weren't, a lot of Jewish people weren't going to this territory. It's, you know, Jesus on a boat with the disciples, there's a storm, and there's also something else. In Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, look at what he's getting out for. There's a man who's demon-possessed, a man with an impure spirit, came from the tombs to meet him. The man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. He had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry and cut himself with stones. So Jesus, if he's anything, he's a man on a mission. He, he makes this unusual choice, and we don't think it's an unusual choice because it's a Bible story and we, just, we don't think about this as ever really having happened. But in the moment it happened, let me tell you what the disciples feel like. They've just seen, they're fishermen, they've just been terrified on a, on a boat, which is their, their you know, like normal, like their, their happy place. But the storm was bad. And then Jesus calmed the storm and they stopped being afraid of the storm and started being afraid of Jesus. And then they see in this territory, this guy who is naked, has, you know, chains on him that he's broken off of. He's cutting himself. He's yelling. And they hear Jesus be like, that's my stop. Let me off here. What is, I mean, would you have gotten off this boat? No. Like, I'm afraid of small bugs. I won't get off that boat here. But Jesus does not run away from death. He runs towards it. He did not just see a place where death reigned. He sees a place where he could announce his reign. He's about to turn a cemetery into a seminary. He's going to show us what God can do. Because Jesus sees a man with no peace, no community, and no hope. And Jesus wants that man to come to life. So here's what I want you to see. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus does not just offer you Life after death. He's offering you right now. And I believe in life after death. I'm not trying to be slippery here. He's offering you life instead of death. Jesus can redeem our past. He can give us strength for our present and speak hope into our future. And did you notice this guy is cutting himself with stones? This is not a new problem. This is a way a lot of people have tried to numb pain in the past as well. It's one method of self-harm among many. And this man who can break chains does not have the strength to break free. He can't break free of his bondage. And by the way, do you think he wanted to keep living like this? I don't think so. Any more than some of you don't want to keep living the way you are. You don't want to keep having that kind of life. You're looking for a way to get out of that habit, to get out of that mood, to get out of that season... The problem is we just don't often know where to go or how to break those habits. But Jesus comes, and at the end of this story, 
When the people, the other people come and see him, the thing they say is, they saw the man dressed and sitting there in his right mind. Here's how the story plays out. So Jesus goes. And when the demon-possessed man, this is verse 6, saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. So now what you're left with is a man in his right mind and some very confused and angry pig farmers. But here's what you see. Jesus' healing affects our minds too. Freedom can somehow begin, sometimes begin by changing, about how, changing how we think about how we think. So here's the way Paul says it in Romans 12. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. The indwelling spirit, the Holy Spirit that is in you, gives us the ability to recognize the thoughts that incarcerate rather than liberate. Because Jesus doesn't just want your behaviors. He wants our minds to come to life. Jesus had all the feels. He had all the emotions. He expressed them in healthy ways. And He wants you to be able to live that way too. Jesus views none of us as hopeless. He'll get out of the boat for any, anyone. He enters cemeteries just to call us out of them. And he defeats the supernatural evil. He believes behind the power of death is always the power of darkness. And he didn't just try to explain those powers. He was expelling those powers. He was showing us what he could do. And he also showed us what they could do. I think it's one of the reasons he sent the the demons into the pigs. To show us the very nature of what Satan does. The thief always comes to kill, steal, and destroy. What What they did to those pigs, they were slowly doing to that man. One of the best descriptions of why Jesus came is in 1 John. The Son of Man came. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil and the devil's work. Whatever that looks like in your life. But here's what I know. And again, this is separate from, you know, chemical imbalance and... But here's one of the things I know. When the devil's activity is described in the New Testament, it is largely not this, you know, demon possession and those... It's lies. It's that the devil gets us to believe an inaccurate representation of reality. And some of those lies sound really, really good. Our kids right now are working on memorizing this one proverb. There is a way that seems right to a person, but in the end it leads to what? Death. At first it sounds great. At first it feels great. At those first few steps, that first couple of miles, that path seems great. But in the end, it leads 
to death. And some lies sound really good because a liar knows how to make it. But they always lead to destruction. And so Jesus sends the demons into the pigs to prove quickly what Satan tries to do over time. And when Jesus confronts evil powers, the evil powers get an eviction notice. Jesus crosses over to that territory not just to rebuke demons, but to release a prisoner. And did you see what he did? When he sees Jesus hit the land, he runs out to him and worships him. That's the same word used in places like Revelation when all the people are around God's throne. He's worshiping him, which means this man is not an exemption. He's an example. No one is so bound they cannot cry out for help to Jesus. And there's no person that's cried out to Jesus that Jesus doesn't hear and respond. In other words, no cemetery is too dark that he won't enter to release you. And that's true even if it means going to a cross for him. Jesus went to death so we could come to life. Now sometimes coming to life means taking your medicine. Or going and seeing that therapist. And sometimes it means Tell them what's going on to your D group or your 242 group or going to lunch with some other brothers and sisters and telling them what's really happening. So every week, we're going to have this slide up. If you're going through something, there's no shame, there's no stigma in this. I've been to therapy several times, including right now in my life. If you need to talk with someone for PV, for mental health care, uh, one of the great things about doing this series is I didn't realize how many people we had who, at this church who work in counseling. Um, and they have come out of the woodwork offering to help. So if you would like to talk to someone, you can email uh, mentalhealthcare at pvcc.org and one of the ministers will follow up. Our shepherds are the one who initiated this teaching because they care about you. And they would love, in a few minutes, we're going to have prayer teams around the room. They would love to talk to you about what's going on with you. Um, and then also, if you're struggling with thoughts of, of self-harm or taking your life, the National Suicide Hotline. And you could also share that with a shepherd as well. This is where we're living right now. Over 420 of us took the uh, survey, the mental health survey, over the last couple of weeks. That's almost half of our church. And over half of us struggle with burnout. Over 70% of us struggle with anxiety. 25% um, of us struggle with anger. 30% of us struggle with depression and grief. And then there's other things as well, which we'll get into as the series goes on. But that's where we are. And I'm grateful that we were brave enough to share it. Because a lot of times in church... We come to church with all this stuff going on in our life. And there's something about those doors that make it where we come through and all of a sudden we're fine. You know, two chapters earlier in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is at, uh, it's like a church service, it's a synagogue, it's a religious ceremony thing. And there's a man there with a withered hand. Now, this is probably the thing he was the most embarrassed about in his life. They've probably hit it. And Jesus in front of all these people, he's going to get in trouble for this because it's on a Saturday, a Sabbath. But Jesus in front of all these people tells the man, stretch out your hand. And then he restored it. 
I want you to think about what that man was thinking. I mean, it's the thing he's coming to church trying to hide the most, right? And Jesus is like, put it out there. Reach it out. We, if we're like this man, we would like for Jesus, we would like to say to Jesus, Jesus, strengthen my weakness and I'll tell others. And what Jesus says is tell others about your weakness and I'll make you stronger. We talk about this because talking about it, because healing begins with revealing. God did not make you my brother or sister. He did not design you to be the only one who prays for you. 